bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, April 29th, 2014. This week, I'll begin by discussing new Community Reinvestment Act guidance from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, as well as a new score for the President's fiscal year 2015 budget. The new score is from the Congressional Budget Office. I also have an update about the number of affordable housing units that could be funded if the National Disaster Tax Relief Act becomes law. In our local housing tax credit segment, I'll discuss a report from Moody's Investment Service that found that housing finance agencies' multi-family programs remain strong and profitable through 2013. In this week's New Markets Tax Credit section, I invite listeners to attend the Novogratik New Markets Tax Credit Spring Conference this June in Washington, D.C. In our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll share a report about the disposal of historic post office buildings and remind listeners about the opening of Pennsylvania's historic tax credit program. And finally, in Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I provide a recap of last week's Financing Renewable Energy Conference in San Francisco. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, I begin with some few changes to Community Reinvestment Act or CRA evaluation procedures for large financial institutions. These new procedures reflect revisions to the interagency questions and answers regarding community reinvestment that were issued last year on November 15, 2013. Under the new procedures, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, or OCC, will consider community development activities within states or regions where an institution is active. It will also consider investment in nationwide funds. However, the bank's investment in their actual footprint will still carry more weight in the CRA evaluation process. That said, investment in the larger areas will be considered when regulators assess a bank's CRA compliance. Now, this should be good news for the tax credit community, as it could help even out demand for credits and result in more investment and higher pricing for credits in smaller or rural markets. In areas like the local housing tax credit, new market tax credit, historic tax credit, and to a large extent renewable energy tax credits, Banks are attracted to the investments to satisfy certain CRA investment needs. And as a consequence, investment opportunities along the coast and larger cities tend to attract more interest from these CRA-motivated banks. As such, the lending or availability of equity investment in rural and smaller communities isn't as great to the extent there isn't as much competition among banks. Tax credit investors and developers have argued for years, as you've heard in prior podcasts, that counting regional or nationwide investments during CRA evaluations could increase investments in these areas and increase credit pricing. The OCC addressed this, as I mentioned, in an updated Q&A last November, and now these are the procedures that are being put in place to get the word and the operating process down to the actual examiners. 
The new procedures replaced the procedures published back in 2006, as well as procedures outlined in the Office of Thrift Supervision's Examination Handbook. I note the changes only apply to large institutions, and that's institutions that had total assets of more than $1.2 billion as of December 31 of the two previous calendar years. Small and intermediate-sized community banks can elect to be evaluated under the new procedures as well, though. You can find a copy of the Large Institution CRA Examination Procedures at the CRA Resource Center at www.novaco.com. And if you have any questions about these new procedures, I encourage you to contact Peter Lawrence in our Washington, D.C. office. In other general news, the Congressional Budget Office, or CBO, has released an analysis of President Obama's fiscal year 2015 budget. It estimates the revenue and spending impacts from 2015 to 2024, based on the President's fiscal year 2015 budget request to Congress. The CBO estimates that the receipts that the Federal Housing Administration will be about $4.3 billion lower than the estimate from the President. This is a larger gap than the CBO had estimated back in January. Now, according to U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development Secretary Sean Donovan, the gap is partially a result of the CBO not taking into account two Federal Housing Administration revenue-generating premiums. It's unclear if the CBO took into account the fee revenue that the programs would generate. Now, Congress returned from its spring recess yesterday and is expected to release its transportation, HUD, subcommittee allocations, and other allocations this week. When they do, I'll send out a tweet and cover any relevant aspects on the notes from the Democratic blog. It will be interesting to see what impact this $4.3 billion gap has in these allocations. Now, you can find my blog at novogradic.wordpress.com. And speaking about my blog, at the Novogradic blog, I've posted information about the number of housing units that the National Disaster Tax Relief Act could produce if it were to become law. As I mentioned in the April 15th podcast, Novogradic and Company has calculated how many additional local housing tax credit units could be provided by the bill and how much allocation tax credit authority would be provided. So if you're wondering how many units that additional allocation authority could fund, the answer is roughly 116,000 units. And the units would be across 24 states and the District of Columbia. And the total credit amount is about $700 million. Now the blog has a breakdown of the estimated proposed units by state. You can find the post, once again, at novogradic.wordpress.com. Now let's turn to low-income housing tax credit news. Moody's Investor Service recently reported that housing finance agency multifamily programs remained strong and profitable through 2013. Delinquency rates for multifamily loans stayed at about half of 1% during the past three years. And troubled loans dropped from less than 1.5% of outstanding loans in 2011 to less than half a percent in 2013, a drop of nearly one percentage point. Moody's expects multifamily to remain strong. It predicts multifamily rental vacancies will stay below 5% over the next five years. At the same time, rents are expected to increase about 2-3% to annually. That continued stability is great news for multifamily developers and investors. It's also good news for multifamily developers looking to housing finance agencies for debt financing for current projects. 
This report is particularly important as Congress debates Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's role in the housing market. Reports like these show the viability of providing debt financing to the multifamily market. This report is entitled 2013 Medians Underscore Strength of State HFA Multifamily Programs, and it's available through Moody's Investor Service. And if you have any questions about the findings, please contact my partner, Bentley Stanton, in our Atlanta office. He can be reached at 678-867-2333. In New Market Tax Credit News, I want to invite listeners to the Novogratz New Markets Tax Credit Spring Conference. The conference is only six weeks away, being held June 12th and 13th in Washington, D.C. And the conference is going to feature a keynote speech from Representative Pat Tiberi. Congressman Tiberi is from Ohio, and he's the chairman of the House Ways and Means Select Revenues Measures Subcommittee. The conference is going to include sessions in a number of areas, including information about successful closing, how you exit deals, and best ways to twin the new market tax credit with the historic tax credit. This last session is a must-attend for anyone working in combined historic tax credit new market tax credit transactions. IRIS guidance issued in response to the historic border call case can greatly affect the structure of these combination transactions. Additionally, the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund is expected to announce the 2013 allocation award soon. And in 2013, conference attendees topped 700, and many of those attendees were looking to place allocation with quality projects, as well as a large number of potential investees seeking to obtain allocation from those CDEs that had received allocation and were in attendance. If you'd like to register, go to www.novoco.com events. And if you have suggestions about things we should be sure to cover at the conference, please send an email to cpas at novoco.com. I'd also like to bring listeners a quick alert about a shutdown of the CDFI Fund's website and my CDFI Fund site this weekend. These sites will be unavailable from Friday, May 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time to Monday, May 5th, 6 o'clock Eastern Time. The CDFI Fund will be performing some scheduled maintenance and plans to have the sites back up and running on Monday morning. If you have any questions about the outage, you should contact the CDFI Fund's IT help desk prior to the shutdown. The help desk can be reached at 202-653-0300 or send an email to the IT help desk at cdfi.treas.gov. In historic rehabilitation tax credit news, the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation, or ACHP, released a new report earlier this month. In it, ACHP urged the U.S. Postal Service to expand its historic preservation program. The report is in response to a growing number of historic post office being sold in recent years. Preservation advocates warned that potential buyers and developers may be unaware of resources like the historic tax credit. So the report urges the Postal Service to give potential buyers more information about federal and state historic tax credit programs. This provides a great opportunity for developers to work with the Postal Service in acquiring buildings and making restoration more affordable with historic tax credits. In the last few years, I note, several old post offices have been successfully repurposed. For example, 
In 2006, developer Steve Stogel used federal and state historic tax credits along with new market tax credits to renovate an 1884 post office in St. Louis, Missouri. This building now houses a university, several state government offices, the St. Louis Business Journal, Teach for America, and other businesses. You can go to the ACHP website for a copy of the report, Preserving Historic Post Offices, a Report to Congress. And to learn more, please contact my partner, Frank Buss, in our Dover, Ohio office at 330-365-5400. In other historic tax credit news, I'd like to provide an update on Pennsylvania's Historic Preservation Incentive Tax Credit. Developers rehabilitating historic structures in the state may apply for the credits through the Pennsylvania Department of Community Economic Development beginning May 1st. That's this Thursday, by the way. Regular listeners will recall that Governor Tom Corbett signed the state tax credit into law in June of 2012. The state credit creates a 25% tax credit for the rehabilitation of income-producing historic structures in Pennsylvania, and it must be used in conjunction with the federal historic tax credit. Unfortunately, there is a program cap of $3 million per year and an individual development cap of $500,000, so the additional equity dollars won't be as meaningful as they would be available in other states with less restrictive or limiting tax credit caps. I encourage you to contact my partner Charlie Ruda in our Boston, Massachusetts office for more details about the Pennsylvania credit. And if you want to submit an application, go to www.newpa.com. And to learn more about this credit and other state historic tax credits, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. In renewable energy tax credit news, I'd like to start off by thanking all of the sponsors and attendees who are present at Novogradic's Financing Renewable Energy Conference in San Francisco last week. The event was a tremendous success and featured some great discussions about the latest developments in renewable energy financing. We also presented our first Renewable Energy Power Awards on Thursday lunch. The awards honored nine outstanding renewable energy projects, and I'd like to extend my personal Congratulations to this year's winners. If you'd like to see the winning projects, or perhaps nominate your project for next year's awards, please go to the Novogratic website at www.novoco.com and click on Awards under the Events tab. Now, for those of you who couldn't attend the conference, I'd like to share some highlights. I began the conference, as I always do, with a Washington Report and Industry Update. Keith Martin of Chadburn and Park LLP, join me for this discussion. We began by discussing sequestration and how it's still very much in effect, and due to this sequestration, cash grants are being reduced by roughly 7%, which means over the next fiscal year, about $125 million in cash grants won't be distributed. It's obviously important to keep this in mind over the course of the next 12 months if you're expecting to receive a cash grant. Secondly, tax reform continues to be an important topic. As I'm sure you're aware, Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp released his tax reform discussion draft earlier this year. And under the draft, the production tax credit would be extended for 10 years, and then it would end. The 30% investment tax credit would go away after December 31, 2016. Now, I'd like to point out, this is just a discussion draft, and that as such, they're just suggestions and the draft is more of a starting point for discussions on tax reform. I wrapped up my talk focusing on tax extenders, 
and how the investment and production tax credit could be affected. There's been a lot of talk in both the House and the Senate about possibly extending the production tax credit and maybe changing the place and service date for the investment tax credit. However, I believe that these extenders will not be passed until after the next congressional election, likely in a lame duck session. Now, Keith Martin continued the discussion by talking about the physical work test and how it's still unclear how much work needs to be done to qualify for the start of construction by the end of last year. He said that the Treasury Department is pushing to release some guides on this matter, but the IRS is more hesitant to do so. Keith then moved on to discuss Master Limited Partnerships, or MLPs, noting that the industry is working hard to expand the use of MLPs to renewable energy. He went on to note that MLPs are gaining traction in the renewable energy field because it would create a more level playing field for renewable and conventionally produced energy. It's hard for renewable energy to compete with other forms of energy such as petroleum products when they can use MLPs and renewable energy cannot. The other panel that I'd like to discuss is the Development and Financing Issues Panel. This panel featured a number of industry experts. One major focus of this panel was the struggle that is faced by small energy facilities. Our panelists said that the rigorous schedule created by the use of tax credits can make it difficult for small renewable energy developers to raise the capital to stay on track. Another issue developers face is a lack of coordination across the development platform. This adds risks for developers. Also, developers are looking to reduce transaction costs. Transaction costs can be particularly challenging for smaller projects. Panelists said that if transaction costs are lowered, though, more small projects could be financed and built. Panelists suggest that developers get their financing stack in order before beginning construction. They said that this will help ensure a smoother development process and obviously lower the risk of a development failing the physical work test. Despite a few issues, panelists agreed that there are good things ahead for the industry. They say the structure of these transactions is improving and that more investors are entering the market. They say this is because smaller banks are becoming more familiar with both the investment and production tax credits and they're getting more interested in participating in the market. Now, this is just a bit of what was discussed at the conference. If you were unable to attend the Novogratic Financing and Renewable Energy Conference last week and would like to hear what else was discussed, it's actually not too late. A recording of the conference will be made available in early May. Watch your inbox for an email announcing the recording's availability. Additionally, we'll be running an update on the state of the renewable energy tax credit industry in the June edition of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. To subscribe to the journal, go to www.novoco.com products. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.